You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. We are talking about the fact that God is good. And this is part three of this series of messages we began four weeks ago, or it was actually three full, three full weeks ago. This is the fourth session, but I missed last week. As you know, I was in Marble Falls, Texas with Roxanne. Miss Roxanne, one of the prophets that we are associated with, who has been here and spoken. We're going to have her back pretty soon. But... Along with, next, along with May 3rd, that's not next Sunday, but it's two Sundays from today, uh, our youth pastor is going to be preaching, and the youth will have full charge of the service. Amen. Now, come anyway, okay? <laughs> oh, you, I know you're going to come to hear him preach, but, you know, the youth, when they're in full charge of the service, they're probably not going to sing How Great Thou Art. <laughs> probably going to sing a bunch of stuff you don't want to hear, but... <laughs> we love our young people here. We support them. We're going to have a special offering, I believe, that day to help, help them. We're going to have a special offering that day to help them go to camp. We appreciate Israel and Whitney so much for their work with our young people. God bless them. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 1. James 1 and verse 16. I know you all have heard me and understood, hopefully you've understood what I mean when I say that the book of James was actually written to the Jewish audience of the Christian faith, the Jewish part of the church, which was the primary part back in the first century, okay? They came in first, this new covenant was made with them, and we got in late, but we got in, praise God, and the Lord is still letting us in, amen. Uh, but James 1.1 1, 1 says it was written to the 12 tribes who were scattered across Asia. And, uh, but that does not mean there's nothing in there for us. Everything in the Bible is for you, but not everything in the Bible is to you, which means some of the things that Jesus did uh, were in fulfillment of the Scriptures. What you look for in the Scriptures is the promises, because we know one thing for sure. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. All the curse has been nailed to a tree 2,000 years ago. Come on, somebody say amen. But there's still powerful truths in the book of James, and I want to point out one to you here in verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Did you notice it is possible to be a brethren to be part of the family and be an error. Just because you're an error doesn't necessarily mean you're not a brother. It's possible to be a brother. How many of you have ever met a brother that was an error? How many of you have ever been a brother that was an error? Do not err, my beloved brethren. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. May I explain to you what this means? Yes. He's trying to tell us and he tells us in no uncertain terms that good things come from heaven, come from God. And God never variates from that. God is not variable. There's no shadow of turning with Him. He doesn't one day bless you and the next day blast you. He never wakes up in a bad mood. That's your mother-in-law. That is not God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandon, that your mother-in-law is sitting right there beside you. <laughs> I saw him look over at her when she wasn't looking too. <laughs> every good and every perfect gift is from above. It's telling you something powerful about God. God is good and only does good. All the evil that's in the world is not God's responsibility. He did not do it. If you keep it in your mind, well, God is all powerful. He could have done it if he... No. Remember, Jesus walked the earth, and it said He could do no mighty miracles in Nazareth because of their great unbelief. What stays the hand of God? Unbelief. Tell me that there's not unbelief rampant in the world today. That's why we have to stand up here on a regular basis and keep talking faith. So you'll go out there and infect the world with faith. Because if we don't, if we don't keep this message power, powerfully proclaimed, the world just falls back into unbelief. Unbelief is everywhere. There's a devil out there, many demons out there that are propagating a gospel that's not the gospel at all. Right. Always talking about how you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And listen to me. We believe that, that, that righteousness in the heart changes your actions. Yes. It changed mine. I don't know about you, but I did, all that stuff that I've tried to quit just started falling off of me. Yeah. Yeah, it just changed me because it got changed on the inside. My desires all changed. And I want you to know, I get drunk as often as I want to. Smoke all the marijuana I want to. Smoke all the dope I want. Snort all the coke I want. Cook all the meth I want. It got quiet when I said that. I do all I want. But the thing is, I don't want any of it, so don't do any of it. But I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it until something happened inside. That's where the change has to happen. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. What you believe has to change. And when your inside changes, then your want-tos change. Praise God, your want-tos change. And discipleship becomes... A natural process rather than a legalistic rule. Yeah. Do not err, my beloved brethren. God is good and only does good. Amen. I want you to read with me Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Miss Whitney, could you just put up Genesis 1 1? And I'm going to just quickly read through it. So, so just kind of keep clicking through. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens. Now God created, okay? How did God create? Did He create with His hands or did He create with His words? 
He created with His words. Words in their initial use was not for communication, but for creation. So what that tells you is, as an emissary of God and as part of the family of God now, sons and daughters of God, you're supposed to consider words Words for more than just communication. Words create your world. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Number two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse three. Then God said, and when the Spirit moved, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Did, did, did it say God saw the light, that it was good? God created light, and He said it was good. He saw the light, it was good. God divided the light from the darkness, verse 5. God called the light day, and darkness He called night. So evening and morning were the first day, verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, verse 7. And thus God made the firmament and divided the waters, verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven, the evening and the morning were the second day, verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters be divided under the heavens, gathered together, and so forth. Read on. Verse 10. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the, the seas together, the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Wow. He's on a roll. <laughs> verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herbs. Next verse. And the earth brought forth grass and herbs. Look down to the last line. And God saw that it was good. good. Verse 13. The evening and the morning were the third day. More. And God created the seasons, days and nights, lights in the firmament. Let there be lights in the heavens. And it was so. In verse 16. And God made two great lights. Next verse. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth, verse 18. The rule over the day and night divided the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. Wow. It just goes on and on. To look down at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Didn't say some of it was bad and some of it was good. He said every, he looked at everything he had made and said, it is very good. That's what God does. When God makes something, it is good. Very good. God does not make... You know why Miss Ann is so successful in her prayer life? As... As uh, most people have testified who've been around her at all, is because she got this message right here down. She knows when destruction is coming from weather, she doesn't have to just lay back and say, "Well, yeah. right. you know, God create God that creates the weather." No, she starts talking to destruction and says it has Amen. to leave. Amen. She don't beg God to do anything. She starts talking to it. Yep. You understand? Because you get, but you can't do that unless you know God is good. Take your Bible now, and, and Miss Whitney, if you'll turn to uh, Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading with verse 8, I guess. Joshua 10 and verse 8. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. That's verse 8, verse 9. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Verse 10. And the Lord routed them before Israel, talking about the Amorites, kill, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. Read on. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. Then Joshua spake to the Lord in the day. Who did he speak to? The Lord. When the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. What? Who did he speak to? But he said it spoke to the Lord. But what came out of his mouth was, Son, stand thou still. We know very little about this kind of praying. It was a prayer. It said, He said to the Lord. But what came out of his mouth was, Son, stand thou still. Ah. Conversation with God means that you have connection, that you can speak to circumstances because God is on your side. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, but God killed those Amorites. You said he was good. You said he doesn't kill people. I said, since 2,000 years ago, this all ended. This all changed. These guys were still under the curse. They were only getting what they, what they, had, what they had called for, what they had prayed to their gods for. It was just a judgment that was out there. God said, thou shalt not eat of the tree. There was one law for everybody, don't eat the tree. One law for everybody, don't eat the tree. What did the tree mean? The knowledge of good and evil. So in response, man has built university systems. And people value that more than they value the knowledge of God. God forgive us. Let's move along. Get you back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Just look at that. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. Have you found it? And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant in the sight of uh, and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now that tree was there for a specific reason. I had somebody say, well, if they weren't supposed to eat, they asked me, if they weren't supposed to eat the tree, why would God put it there in the first place? There's a reason why. Because God, in order to give man free moral agency, had to have one thing that he had to make a choice about. 
The Lord had planted the garden and given him everything. It's all yours. Enjoy, enjoy. But there was one tree, he said, I want you to have to make a choice about this one. That tree there, that's my tree. You can't eat of that tree. The day you eat of that tree, you're no good from evil. Do you understand that as long as they only knew God, there was no evil in their life? They didn't have to know about evil to avoid it. We, we spend all of our time teaching our kids about all the evil that's in the world to try to get them to avoid it. And I don't know if you've looked around society, it hasn't worked. <laughs> you show them enough counterfeit bills, they can't tell the difference between the real one and the counterfeit. What they need is just to see the real all the time. What we need is a good dose of good, a good dose of God. Well, you're sheltering your kids. Hey, I raised three men of God. My, one of them is a girl, but she's still a man of God. <laughs> she's strong as two acres of garlic, I'm telling you. She is really strong. <laughs> I raised three of them. Miss Ann and I raised three of them, sheltering them. Sheltering them. Keeping evil away from them. Because we knew you don't just let, let them have exposure to that kind of stuff because it creates this evil and they get desensitized to it. It's really quiet in here. I know I'm not, I'm, I don't. Pour good into your mind and heart. Pour good over your kids. Let them get accustomed to only good. Shelter them. Look at mama hold that baby tight over there and rocking her. Yeah. Hold them tight as long as you can. Keep pouring good in there. Yeah. Amen. Because this world is out there and it's full of all kinds of evil. But, but God's not going to take you out of the world. He wants you to be the light in that dark place. Yeah. Amen. You're, you are the light in the dark place. They need you. Amen. They need you. They need, the, they need somebody who has this message. But notice that Adam and Eve knew nothing about evil as long as they had never been exposed to the evil one. But when he came in that serpent and began to talk to them, they began to understand there was another side to all this. You'll be like one of, you'll be like one of the gods knowing good and evil. No, you'll be like one of the devils knowing good and evil. You won't become like God knowing good and evil. You'll become like the devil knowing good and evil. Everybody understand what we're saying here? As long as they only knew God, they only knew good. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. Is it okay if we do a little topical study today? Genesis 15, 15. God made promises. If you've been here 10 times, you should know the pinnacle verse of the Old Testament concerning righteousness. It's in Genesis 15. You have it marked in your Bible there, Dylan? Verse 6. Yeah, you, you could have told me what it was, verse 6. Genesis 15, 6 is the pinnacle verse, is the key verse, the axiomatic verse, if you will, for all of Pauline doctrine. All the revelation that the Apostle Paul got starts and ends with Genesis 15, 6, which says, And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted that belief as righteousness to him. You find this theme all through Paul's doctrine. Jesus kept taking Paul right back to Genesis 15. But notice what it says down in verse 15. God speaking to Abram says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, 
thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Ladies and gentlemen, I have news to report to you. Getting old is good. At least it beats the alternative. (laughs) Nothing wrong with getting old. Old is good. Ask wine if old is not good. Ask cheese if old is not good. Sometimes the older they get, the better they get. Amen. I believe that about women. I believe the older they get, the better they get. And the older men get, the more they act like little boys, the younger they get. Praise God. I'm going to start. I'm going to have me a Corvette with my, butt, with my shirt unbuttoned and a big medallion right there. I'm going to have one one day. Y'all will see me pull up here in the church parking lot with a Corvette and a big medallion right there. I'm, to, I'm Cherokee Indian, don't have any hair on my chest, so that, that, that won't work. But he said, you're going to go in a good old age. Abraham lived to be 175 years old, a good old age. It's good to be old. God promised you a good, long life. It's not automatic. Young people die all the time. It's not for everybody. It's not a blanket statement. It's for those who believe this. Believe that God is good and believe that God wants you to be old. The reason God wants you to live so long is so you can outlive all your doggone enemies. <laughs> Frida Lindsay, one of the founders, uh, the, the, the co-founder of our institute in Dallas, Christ for the Nations, I heard her make that statement one time. She, she, she was a pioneer for women in ministry. Not everybody loved that. Back in, back in her day when she took over in 1973, they did not, not everybody was in favor of her being in ministry. There had been a few women along the way here and there, Amy Simple McPherson, a few others along the way. In every denomination, you know, it was Lottie Moon of the Baptist and various ones like that were, were great women, pioneers of, of faith, but they suffered all kinds of persecution, and Frida Lindsay did too. Close friends of hers turned on her and stabbed her in the back. I mean, it was just terrible the way they tried to undermine her over and over, four or five times. And I heard her tell the story how this one did this and this one did this. And it took about 30 minutes to tell all the story. She said, but I have news today. They all said it wasn't right. They all said the, the, the doors would close. They all said I would be a failure. But I have something to say. She's about 90 years old when I heard her say this. She said, they're all dead. <laughs> and I'm still here. And then she said, I guess that means I win. <laughs> A good old age. Come on, come on. I'm gonna tell two people I'm gonna live to be old. Amen. There's power. Carolyn's not old. There's power in age. There's power in age. Genesis 25, 8 says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. So long life is a good thing, and God promises long life. It says in Psalm 91, With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Well, how's he going to show you salvation through a long life? I'll tell you how. He's going to show you how many... 
He's he going to show you that He can keep you alive and deliver you, save you from all kinds of evils that try to take you out. That's what that verse means. With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Meaning, there's going to be times that the devil's going to try to take you out. But God's promised you long life and He's going to show you how saved you are by letting you live a long time. Praise God. Come on, somebody say amen. This is good. Use your faith to attach to this promise. It's a good thing to live to be old. Praise God. Besides all that, it lets you make more money to give away to your kids when you do go. Amen. You want them to miss you, don't they? Don't you? I mean, you want them to be glad you lived. You're going to spend it all. Okay. Now look at Genesis chapter 30, verse 27. Got something here to show you. Genesis chapter 30, and verse 27. And Laban said unto Jacob, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, Terry, stay with me. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for your sake. How good is God when He blesses people just because you hang around them? Miss Ann and I have been noticing this. And it's not a figment of our imagination. I'm telling you, it's a fact. We notice it all the time. We pull into a convenience store, nobody there. Go into the bathroom, wash our hands, get, get, our, get our drink, because we travel a lot, get our drink and go up to the cash register. And in the meantime, five people have come into the standing, standing line in front of us in the, at the cash register. We went there and blessings of business followed us right there through the place. It happens all the time. Because we believe it's supposed to happen. God blesses people. Have you, how many of you have noticed that about that, that you do that? If where you go, people tend to flock. Yes. They don't know you. They don't know anything. They just say, you just go there. There'll be nobody there. Before you leave, the place is full of people. Had it happen at a restaurant. And it wasn't mealtime. We were at a restaurant just, just recently. There two people in there, two customers in there. Two o'clock in the afternoon. Before we left, the place was nearly full. You're welcome. <laughs> Laban knew this. He knew he was blessed because Jacob was with him. Remember, be mindful that you are an emissary. You carry the Spirit with you. This stuff is real. I told you this story, but I'm going to tell you again. A few years ago, Casey and Parrish were in Granbury, Texas, ministering as, youth, as worship leaders there. And we were, Ann and I were living in McKinney at the time. And I was working for CF and I and pastoring the church and what have you. And Casey calls me one day and says, Pastor John, I had the strangest thing happen. I said, tell me. He said, there was a family, a man and wife, came to visit our church. Way out in Granbury, which is about 30 miles southwest of Fort Worth. And, and he said, they had come and visited because Granbury is a little resort town, you know, and got a lake and all that. And it's a real nice little place. And, uh, and y'all know Brandon Marshall. Well, he, he's the pastor of that church now. And uh, Casey said, this lady came in, and, and she came up to him and said, she said, uh, the spirit and anointing that is on you is very familiar to me. I, you just you remind me of my ex-pastor, my old pastor. And the anointing that's on you is just familiar. I just, I just seem like I've 
been under this anointing before. And they got to talking. Finally, he said, well, where you come from? They said, San Angelo. He said, well, my, my pastor that sent me here used to preach in San Angelo. She said, who was it? He said, John Holler. She said, that's who I'm talking about. <laughs> Did I get the story right? Yep. That's who I'm talking about. Amen. What? Well, that's a little spooky, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's just the anointing. That's the anointing. You have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have this anointing. They'd never met each other. They didn't even know. We're separated by years and miles. But, the, but she picked up on the Spirit. Picked up on the anointing. Amen. You have an anointing that impacts the world. Laban said, I know God's blessing me because you're here. Every place you go, just think. You might not even say anything, but just being there creates a blessing for, ever, for other people. See, because God is good. He's trying to bless people, but he really apparently needs an agent. Ooh, this is good. I mean, God can't just do anything he wants to do because he needs earth suits. We have authority here. Are you hearing me? He's looking for people who will act on his behalf, act as his emissaries, so he can spread his goodness around. If you're conscious of this, imagine what can happen. I want you to be conscious of this. The goodness of God that is in you, and it's in you to be an impact and an influence, to let the world see that He is good. Yeah. I, I, I want to go into places and have the, have the clerk say, well, I'm so glad you came in. Business was kind of falling off, and when you walked in, other people, I, I've noticed that when you're here, they get, business gets better. What's wrong with that? So don't be a cheapskate when you go out to eat. Tip well, okay? Amen. Martha, he done quit preaching and went to meddling right there. <laughs> the Lord expresses His goodness to others because of you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Beginning with verse 7. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. What? What? When I read that, I said, That ain't true, Jesus, or I'm not living right. Because <laughs> I've asked a few times and didn't receive. You have to ask yourself, are you going to believe the Word of God or believe your own experience? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> if every time you ask, as far as He's concerned, you receive, that means He dispensed it. Whether it manifested in your life is not His deal. Whether it manifests in your life is your deal. This is a powerful revelation if you just let it sink in. Everyone who asks receives. That means God is good and He keeps His end of the deal every time. But our end is the faith end. God's end is the grace end and He's always engaged in grace to pour it forth. But our end is the faith end. The receiving of it is by faith. Everyone who asks receives. He that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if a son asks bread, will he give him a stone? 
Or if, I, if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he then being evil know how... If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, your heavenly Father, your Father which is in heaven, give the Holy... I'm, I'm quoting from Luke 11. Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. But here it says, give good things to them that ask Him. Luke, this same passage, this same account, Luke says, your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit. This one says, your Father which is in heaven will give good things to them that ask. Wow, it means if he gave you the spirit, I guess all the good stuff goes with it. Yeah. I've heard people say, well, I prayed for this. I prayed for patience, but the Lord gave me hardships to learn patience. <laughs> well, that's, that's a nice little stupid philosophy, but it's not biblical. Right. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts, everybody say, how much more? How much more? How much more? Infinitely more. He's infinitely more, more, more better than you are, ain't he? Huh? He's infinitely, he's infinitely gooder than you, isn't he? Huh? He's infinitely more good than we are. Then infinitely, he's going to do good more than a, a father on earth. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven, your heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit and good things to those who ask Him. How much more? Infinitely more. Infinitely more. Now, I teach Bible students all the time who seemingly know everything. I asked one of them one day, why did you come to Bible college? You already know everything. <laughs> John chapter 9. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John 9. I'll give you an example here. Every time I teach like this, somebody comes to John chapter 9. And Jesus passed by and saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you see that they did not have room for a devil in the world? They just didn't have a theology of demons. They didn't have any understanding of devils, really, even though they'd seen Jesus cast out devils. They didn't know that the devil caused this kind of thing. They said, who, who, who's responsible here, him or his parents? The tradition I was raised in kind of had the same point of view. If anything went wrong, it's all your fault. Well, it's not your fault because it went wrong, but it might be your fault because it stays wrong. There is a devil out there that's going to try to make everything go wrong in your life, but he can't, or none of us would have made it to church today. Right? He can't just do anything, but he can work and get his hordes together and try to create calamity in your life. Yep. The disciples didn't see that. They just said, this has to be his parents or him. Well, how's he going to sin? How's he going to sin if he's born blind? What sin is this baby going to do in his mother's womb? Think bad thoughts? Suck the wrong thumb? I don't know. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Period. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, that night cometh when no man can work. Now, here's how this has been read, just like it's written there. No man sinned, neither was this man born blind, by, born blind, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And it makes it sound like it's saying that the reason he was born blind was, it, you know, God did this so I could show you how, how God heals today. But I have news for you today that the punctuation was added by men and the verses were added by men. Let's read it without the punctuation, without the verse break. Jesus answered and said unto them, Neither this man has sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. The works of God aren't going to happen until a man does it. But that the works of God may be manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. Oh, this is good. God's goodness is riding on you. He's been good to you, and it is your faith challenge to express God's goodness everywhere you go. The works of God are to be worked. Amen. Amen. That's not working for your salvation. That's just goofy. You're not that good. You never will be that good. Right. But somebody already worked it for you. Hallelujah. You received it by faith. But now there's work for you to do. The works of God, which are all good works. God doesn't call you to go down to the courthouse and stand up on the courthouse square and shake your fist at the government and, and decry their, their evil. That is not anywhere in our Bible. Yeah. Our disciples, the disciples, our apostles, all of our, none of our heroes did that kind of thing. Right. I know you see Christians doing it all the time. I'm, o I'm okay with it, with it if they're doing it for political purposes and not in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Got quiet, didn't it? <laughs> let, me, let me give you a little more here. What time is it? I'll quit when it gets time, okay? <laughs> but I decide when it's time. <laughs> <laughs> but you decide if you come back, so I'll quit on time. I promise I will. <laughs> I want you to turn to the book of Jonah real quick like. Jonah, here's another question. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. All right. What am I supposed to say? Well, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish for the present, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty, y'all know the story. They were trying to draw straws to see who, who, who was bad and the, and the lot fell on poor Jonah. He said, it's me. I ought to say, it's me. And God's coming after me. If you'll just throw me into the water, just throw me into the sea. Everything's going to be okay. And as soon as they threw him in the water, the tempest stopped. And a whale swallowed him. Y'all know the story. 
Y'all know the story. Did I tell y'all the story about the t Sunday school teacher that was teaching on Jonah and the whale? Did I tell y'all that? Sunday school teacher was teaching on Jonah and the whale. And one of the guys from the seminary was in that weekend. Stuck his head in her Sunday school class. She said, and a big whale swallowed Jonah. The seminarian called her after school, after, after Sunday school, and said, you know, I've learned at seminary that whales don't really have an esophagus, a throat large enough to swallow a man. And that's really just a metaphor. Jonah's really just a metaphor. It didn't really happen that way. She said, what do I care about that? He said, well, what are you saying? She said, I believe the Bible says it. That means that that settles it. It's finished. It's just like it says. God said there was a big fish, it was a whale, and swallowed Jonah. The seminarian said, well, I guess we won't ever really know, will we? And she said, no, no, I'll know. I'll know for certain. Because when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah myself. <laughs> and he said, suppose Jonah's not in heaven. She said, then you can ask him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> chapter 2. Turn to chapter 2 in the last verse, Whitney. I'm not sure what verse it is. Is it verse 10, maybe 8 or 10? Chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Look at verse 9. But I will sacrifice, this is Jonah speaking, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. And that phrase there, salvation is of, uh, is of the Lord, is not really, not really what it says. What Jonah actually said was this one word. We get the phrase, salvation is of the Lord, but Jonah actually, Jonah actually said one word to end that prayer. He said, Yeshua. Does that sound like a name y'all love? Uh, that's just the Hebrew name for Jesus. So what he said was, Jesus, Yeshua. And when he used that name, the whale couldn't hold him. Hallelujah. Amen. Threw him up. Amen. Now, why did Jonah run in the first place? Well, we've got to get to chapter 4. Let's get to Jonah chapter 4. Using this for an example for you today. In verse 1. You know... Jonah went through town, and he was saying what, he, what, what the Lord had told him. And you, do you remember what the message was in chapter 3? He, when he came out of the whale's belly, what he was preaching? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This was the message that God had told him he had to say. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, there are several little factors here you need to be aware of. In the Old Testament, when God gave a prophet a message, he could not editorialize. He could not comment. He just had to say exactly what God told him to say. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that, Jonah says here in chapter 4, is why he ran. When, when, when Nineveh repented, the Bible doesn't really say they repented. It, it describes their actions as repentance. But chapter 3 says they believed. They believed the message of Jonah. They believed the Lord. And then they brought forth the actions of repentance. But it says two or three times in that passage that the Lord repented. That's right. So the Lord changed His mind. 
He had planned to overthrow them, had planned to kill them by the thousands, and he changed his mind when they believed him and brought forth works, meat for that repentance. Now this is powerful. I want you to hold on to this just for a moment. I'm almost finished. And when he did, God changed. And no, Jonah went outside the city, got under a gourd, and waited for the destruction to come. And it didn't happen. And it displeased Jonah very much. We take this story too lightly. But it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarsus, for I knew that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and who repents from doing evil. Yeah. I knew this would happen. Listen, it's not a big deal if a modern-day prophet misses it. Because we live in a day of grace, we say, try harder next time, brother. We don't throw them out of the church. We don't call them false prophets. Say, all right, brother, you, you, you keep, keep working. Keep, keep, keep practicing. Keep flowing in the Holy Ghost. You're going to be okay. We encourage our, our prophets who miss it. In that day, they stoned the prophets that missed it. His day, it was a job ender. The resume is in the fire. You're done if you miss it this big. And Jonah knew that. And he's, he's got a theology about God. He knows what? That God is good. But God has given him a very harsh message. And he, and, but God would not let him say, unless you repent. That was not part of the message. The message was purely, you're going to die. You're going to die. That was his only message he could say. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He said, don't you know when the Lord was first telling him this, he said, now listen, give me a little more. There's got to be a unless. There's got to, it can't just be a message of burn. It's got to be turn or burn. Right? Give me some way out of this, Lord, because if I go down there and I do this, I know what's going to happen. Everybody understand now, Jonah has a little bit more integrous ground to stand upon for running. He was not just a lazy, rebellious prophet. He was trying to save his own stinking reputation because he knew God was good. In the Old Covenant, his job, his role, his ministry as a prophet could end suddenly for a false prophecy because of what God had said should happen to false prophets, they should be stoned. And yet, even with that edict hanging over him, he knew God to be merciful and good. Shouldn't we think that if God became a man, if God became a man to suffer the penalty of sin, the sins of all mankind, that we could never ever see him any other way but good? Amen. We couldn't take the penalty, so he took it for us. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. What is it? Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Miss Ann and I were driving from Marble Falls last week. And we started kind of 
preaching to each other. We will drive along there sometimes and say, preach about that. Just pick out something we see. It came my turn. We were in Liberty Hill, Texas. Anybody know where Liberty Hill, Texas is? You've been lost before, haven't you? <laughs> it's in the sticks. <laughs> Liberty Hill, Texas. We were driving through there, and she said, preach about that. I went, oh, that's awful. <laughs> it was a house, a big farm-style house up in town with a big, big porch on it and lots of woodwork and railings and stuff and posts, all painted this bright, garish blue on a white house. And we got up beside the house as we're passing by it, and there was a pickup truck, a Chevrolet pickup truck, wide, long bed, sitting beside it, the exact color of blue that was, that was on the house. <laughs> I couldn't ought to get over it. I thought, who does that? Who wants a matching house and pickup truck? <laughs> I know it's Texas. But I thought, how silly that is. Then I got this word. It started rolling around inside me. Here's the word. The house wanted the truck to feel like it belonged. The truck was not painted the color of the house. Y'all know what happened. The guy drove the truck down to the paint store and said, make me a blue just like that. And took it home and painted his house. The house became what the truck was. The greater, hmm. I could not become a God, but my God became a man. The greater became what I was to express his goodness, to make me know I belong. That truck doesn't even have to look for its house. It knows. It just got to go to the same color of him. <laughs> he knows where he belongs. Come on. God brought you into this by virtue of him becoming like you so you could recognize where you belong. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your great kindness. I thank you for this congregation their receptivity of this message of grace and goodness. I ask that you express your goodness to everyone here who's hurting today, those who are in sorrow, those who are brokenhearted, those who are left out, those who've come here wondering why on earth am I here. Help them to understand your goodness in their lives. Extend their lives. Prove how good you are by extending their lives and helping them to understand and reach, helping them to reach out in faith to take hold of these great promises.